What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Oh, dude, I'm so excited for our sponsor this week. <laughs> are, you, are we that? allowed to be expi- excited for a sponsor? <laughs> yes, we can, because they're paying us. <laughs> no. No, this, one, this one's, like, close to home, so I, like, I, I feel the warmth and the love just a, just a little more, if, that, if that's allowed. I don't know if you're allowed to love a sponsor more, but... Well, it's good to have a sponsor that you actually like. You know, we've been very fortunate. We've, been, we've had good ones. You know, everyone we've had, we've, we've actually very much liked, and this is one of them. Yeah, so uh, our our sponsor this week is Heard at Media, which is our new podcast partner. They are amazing. They have awesome. transformed this podcast for us, and we cannot thank them enough. You know, it's you know we we went into business with them like a couple months back, and you know we didn't really know where we were going with the podcast. We didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know how to monetize, and they came in and they said, "Guys, we're gonna hold your hands," and it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's really what they did. We needed someone to really hold our hand and be our dad, and they've been, they've over-delivered. You know, if you need podcasting, website, social media, or video, holler at them at herdat, H-U-R-R-D-A-T dot com. Go like them on Facebook, Instagram, at herdat, H-U-R-R-D-A-T. These guys are just incredible. Uh, what they do is they really just kind of take your product and bring it to the next level. It's hard to it's hard to really put into words how much they've changed it because you guys don't see it on this side, but it makes a difference on the other side because there's there's so many podcasts out there and trying to differentiate yourself and try to make money and get sponsors and try to do this. It's not easy. And these guys have made it easy for us. So from my heart to her dad, thank you guys. And go check them out. Go support them. H-U-R-R-D-A-T dot com. Dax. Oh. <laughs> How you doing today, buddy? Hello, Hollywood Raw audience. How are you guys? That was such this an is interesting the- way to start out. I, normally you're like, Dax, what's up? And it was just... <laughs> Dax. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, this episode is for our wrestling people out there, but not even wrestling no, people. No, this people is for you. Stars. This, this, this is, is for, for me. This is this... for you to fanboy out. That's that's what it really comes down to. We know, like, if you guys don't know Adam well enough, he's a huge wrestling fan, and for him to get Chris Jericho on the podcast, it's a big deal. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was bugging out. Uh, I hit up everyone. I hit up my guy at WrestleBotch, Ryan, and I hit up my buddy Tom Bolin. I was like, man, I got. Uh, I have uh, Chris Jericho coming on the podcast. It's uh, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty awesome. I, I, I'm excited for you. I, I mean, Chris Jericho is one of the biggest wrestlers out there. So this is a, this is a, a big big get for us. I'm excited to talk to him today. Uh, I did want to read a quick comment because um, you know I, I listen. The biggest way to support us is to subscribe. Number one. To, to rate our podcast, leave us a good review. Um, and so I got one here because we like to shout out people that leave us reviews. So this is from Breck Bella. Uh, gave us five stars, said, nice insights. Thank you guys for always bringing different perspectives on various pop culture topics. So thank you, Breck Bella. We appreciate the comment. Anyone, leave us one. Go to iTunes, leave us a comment. We really appreciate it. We read all of them, and we like to give people shout outs. 
With that, Dax, tell us about our guest today. Ooh, our guest today is a professional wrestler, a musician, a New York Times bestselling author, podcaster, game show host, television personality, and even did his own cruise that sold out very quickly. So I can, I guess you can say he's an entrepreneur as well. He has competed on Dancing with the Stars, has been a, a champion in all the wrestling promotions, pretty much, and is now producing I'm Too Old for This Shit, a heavy metal documentary about the band Siren. Very excited to welcome him, Chris Jericho. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I'm a longtime fan, and uh, I want to get into the documentary. We're going to get into the documentary uh, recently, the, the one you just produced. I'm too old for this shit. It looks awesome. The trailer, to be honest with you, the trailer it looks fantastic. It looks like one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. So we're going to get into that. But there's another documentary coming out, one on Vince McMahon. Bill Simmons is doing it. Uh, what do you want to see in that documentary? You know, I was your producer. You know, how do you make that into a great documentary? Well, I mean, um, I think, you know, in actually doing a documentary, the thing that's, that's the most interesting is finding the, the, the real life stories that um, are kind of behind the scenes. It's like doing a good interview, like doing a podcast. The first 10 minutes of any podcast that you do are usually just people answering the uh, answering the way they would answer if you do a press junket. You've got six minutes, you've got 10 minutes. I, I find longer-term interviews, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, that's when you really start unraveling the, the layers of the onion, so to speak. And that's when you get the real stories. And when you know somebody, um, it's very easy to fall into it. When you don't know somebody, you also have to kind of get past the facade of like, oh my gosh, I got to do some press. It's just a necessary evil. You want to try and make it fun. So a documentary, I think you really want to find those stories that maybe you've never heard before. And the thing is with, with a, a documentary about Vince, I mean, the guy's so colorful, almost like a, a PT Barnum of, of our generation, so to speak. And there's, you could probably do 10 documentaries about him, five of them that you can actually air and five of them that you could use as evidence in court to put him in jail. Probably if that was the case, um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, anytime you get something like that of a, of, a, of a character and a personality where people only know what he wants you to know, I think the true challenge for that would to be kind of getting behind the, the wall, so to speak, and really getting those deep stories. And the secret is to make sure that the person that you're talking to, I never call it an interview, I talk in a, a conversation, has fun. Because when someone starts having fun, that's when the inhibitions go away. And it's almost like probably doing a reality show where you forget that the camera's there. You want people to forget the microphone is there. And, and I've been very fortunate many times for someone to go, holy smokes, man, I, I forgot that we were even on tape for this. You know, um, and that's kind of the cool secret to any interview that you do and any documentary that you make to getting those actual real cool gems of stories that aren't just typical press release uh, uh, talking points. I was going to say, is there anything about Vince that you would want to know? Like that you, that you've always wondered or questioned. And if in this documentary, they covered it, that would be fascinating to you. I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things, like I haven't worked for him for almost three years now, but I did work for him for 17, 18 years and, and have been a, a fan of the company, obviously since I was a teenager. So, I mean, I, I'm at one point was a very close friend of Vince. We're still close now, or still still friends now. But you're not as close when you don't, you know. I'm 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 on the enemy team now. But I, I just think I would really like to learn some of the stories of things that that I think maybe that the early days of of his, 
you know, of, of his run as, as the boss of WWE. I think kind of those days when he didn't know for sure if there would even be a company around in six months. That would be the most interesting story. It's just like any book that you read about anybody. It's it's the years where you're coming up. Like even my my story, like it's those early, you know, time frame of your career when you don't really know if you're going to make it. And all you got is passion and desire and uh, fearlessness. And I think that would be really interesting to hear some of those stories from, from Vince. What uh, when you worked with Vince and actually you know in wrestling, do you negotiate your own contracts or did you have an agent do it for you? Well, I have an agent because it's show business. I've had an agent since 1999, and I think sometimes you know, I mean, if you look at the differences between WWE and AEW, uh, WWE is kind of a wrestling company with a wrestling background, and AEW, the company I work for now, it's owned by the by the Con family who owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. They own the Fulham football club in, in England. They are a big pro sports uh, ownership. So they treat wrestling like pro sports. So there's the difference. Wrestling treated like wrestling, which is go- going back to, you know, the 60s and carnies and, you know, all that sort of thing. And wrestling, as far as treating it like a sport, they expect you to have an agent. So I still think there's a little bit of a of a – uh, reticence in WWE if you have an agent, whereas in AEW it's expected because every athlete, every actor, every musician, every performer has an agent. That's just part of the business. And I think it's something that WWE kind of still frowns upon. Whereas, you know, a company like AEW, they, but what do you mean you don't have an agent? Everyone has an agent. Get an agent. You need one. So you're 50 years old now and you're in fucking awesome shape. You're able to put on a good show. We've seen a lot of wrestlers not be able to do that you know it's not easy to continue wrestling uh when you get into your 50s so how do you keep it up what the hell are you doing to keep in such good shape it's just so funny to hear you're 50 years old it's like i feel like uh molly shannon on saturday Night Live. i'm 50 50 years old <laughs> it's so weird because i still feel like i'm you know uh, fucking 21 years old but i guess that's the idea and that, that's the secret and i think you know I, I think one of the most important things especially for me as a pro athlete and as a musician as a singer as someone who's on stage well, when we can tour, but when, when you can tour, we were very, uh, uh, we very much did a lot of shows, but it keeps you, your cardio in shape and keeps it's, and cardio is more than just sitting on a bike and doing an hour. Cardio is running, jumping, uh, appealing to the fans. And, and so rock and roll and wrestling has a lot of similarities. And I think you have to kind of adjust your training to wherever you are in your stages of life. I think the time of, you know, how much you bench and, and you know, I, I did 400 pounds for two reps. Like that's way far in, in, in the rear view mirror. Now it's more, I mean, I went through a big yoga phase. I had some real problems with my back and I took up DDP yoga and, and, and kind of went through that whole trip and, and kind of healed my body. And now I do mostly kickboxing, um, with a, with a, my, my trainer, my kickboxing trainer who comes to my house about four or five times a week. And that's the best workout you can have, especially in Florida where it's hot. You open the garage doors and it's just super human. It's a sweat and it's a lot of moving and, 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 and striking and that sort of thing. So I think that's the reason why I've stayed in shape is I've morphed my training as my body changes and gets older. It's not as much lifting weights uh, or if there is lifting weights, it's not, you know, three sets of eight as heavy as you can do it. It's one set of a hundred at whatever weight you can do. So, um, and just being smart and being cognizant of, of, of your body. Like I know when I'm taking it too far, I, I don't wrestle, you know, 
180, 200 times a year like I used to. Now it's more like 15, 20 times a year. And so that sort of stuff helps as well. So you just got to be smart and really pay attention to your body. And after relying so much on on this carcass for for 30 odd years, I really know when it's going too far, when I need a break, when I need a rest. Um, And you got to listen to that because if you don't, that's when you can get hurt. Yeah, you've always had... You, I feel like you've always been yourself in the ring. You know, it was not really a character; it was Chris Jericho. So I was, I was curious, what was the strategy when it came to being a wrestler and being being in the ring? You know, like how much input did you have regarding your storyline and the character you were? Well, I mean, they always say the best characters are are your real life persona just turned up to the to the tenth degree. So. I, I liken it like, yeah, there's a lot of Chris Jericho in the character of Chris Jericho, but the, the best way I can put it is like Jerry Seinfeld plays the character of Jerry Seinfeld on Seinfeld. There's elements of the real guy in there. There's exaggerations. There's certain things that are turned up, thir- certain things that are turned down. And that's what Chris Jericho, the character is. Like I always wanted to be, like I was always way more influenced by, by rock and roll well, equally influenced by rock and roll as I was by wrestling, hence the career that I have to this day. And I always wanted to be kind of the ultimate rock and roll front man in, in a wrestling ring, like a Paul Stanley or a Mick Jagger or David Lee Roth in the ring. So I took those characteristics that those guys had about how to work a crowd and connect with an audience and then put that into my wrestling persona, which I then put into my Fozzie persona because the most important thing when you're in front of a live crowd is connecting with them. And so whether you're a good guy or bad guy in wrestling or whether you're in the, you know, the first band on a festival or the 10th band headlining, you have to connect with the audience and make people excited to see you and make people want to pay money or want to be there when you come to town. So I think those types of elements are what I do best with my characters, really looking somebody in the eye and, 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 and bringing them into the show, whether it's wrestling or music. And that's, that's what I always wanted when I go to a live show. And I know that that's what people who attend want to want to be involved as well. Has there been a younger wrestler that's come onto the scene that like really impressed you that they had the strongest impact, the best character that you were like, ah, oh, damn, this person's got it. Well, there's a lot of guys like that. And you see that as, as, as you get older, that's kind of my job in AEW now. I mean, we're, we're the hottest wrestling company in the world after only a year um, because we embrace that. You know, you have to watch some of the younger guys and who's coming up next. Like, I'm not going to be doing this forever. I never expect to be doing it as long as I am, but I'm still enjoying it and still able to do it at a high level. So now my job is to find uh, which younger guys kind of have that X factor. And also a lot of guys grow into it. So you can see that pretty early on. Like, it's funny. I had a tag team match a couple, about a month ago, against two kids from Minneapolis. They're called Top Flight. And I was like, oh my gosh, like add these two kids together, their ages together, and I'm still 10 years older than them. (laughs) It was a 21-year-old kid and a 19-year-old kid. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is really crazy, right? So that's the sort of influence that I have now where there's a lot of guys, whether it's like Darby Allen or or Jungle Boy or Orange Cassidy or MJF or, or all these type of guys um, that you see, it's the same as Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins and Kevin Owens when I worked with them in WWE four or five years ago. You can tell they're at the cusp 
of becoming main event headlining money making, which is important, uh, draws for us. So they've already got it inside of them. And it's my job to kind of help them bring that out and kind of lead them along the way. At some point I'll explode into a puff of dust. Uh, but before I do, I'll try and impart as much wisdom and as much confidence as I can into the guys. It's not what I'm going to tell them that gets them to the next level. They have to feel the confidence. It's like anything else. It's like hosting, you know, Hollywood raw. You got to, you got to feel the confidence and know no matter who the, the guest is, we're going to make it a good show. Cause as you guys know, some guys come on and it's like, dude, you do know this is an interview, right? You're supposed to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you That's just so answer true. with one word, it doesn't make it go by any faster. You got to do this. So all of those things are just imparting the confidence into somebody so that they can be the best they can be uh, and, and allow, their, 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 allow themselves to bloom. Absolutely. You know, wrestling is one of the few sports, and you know better than anybody, that the young guys really need to respect the veterans. It's very old school. You know, you need to listen to the older guys and kind of hear their advice. You know, what should new wrestlers do to really not piss off the veterans? It's, it's not like it, I mean, it was really like that when I started. You know, if you piss off the veteran, they'll you know, piss in your bag or leave you on the side of the road or shave your eyebrows or, you know, feed you, you know, flaming cucarachas until you puke and you know, all that sort of <laughs> stuff. It's really not like that anymore. Now, I mean, everyone understands the respect level. And sometimes if someone rubs you the wrong way, it's actually really changed, especially in our company. I keep mentioning AW because it really is a different vibe where if someone says something, you, you really tell them like, hey, man, you got to, you got to, especially me, like I have kind of the, 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 the vote to say, man, you got to tone it down a bit or you got to turn it up a bit or you got to, but most people have that respect and know it. Whereas years ago it wasn't there. So, um, it really has changed, man. It was real gypsies, tramps and thieves when I started and a lot of that sort of stuff in the locker room and all that stuff's kind of gone away. So you really, everyone gets it. You just be nice. And, and I think, I think the biggest thing is a lot of time people are nervous and when they're nervous, they might come across as short or maybe, you know, this you know, I went to shake this guy's hand. He shook my hand and didn't say anything. Like, what's wrong with this guy? And it's like, you got to understand, I was there too when I first walked into the WCW locker room at 25 years old. And there's Hulk Hogan over here and Ric Flair's over there and Sting is here and, you know, uh, Lex Luger's over there. And you're just like, I'm so nervous right now. But I was also smart enough to know that I can't be nervous because I, I work here now. These are my peers I'm not a fanboy, so shake their hands, laugh when they tell a joke, throw a couple lines in when the time is right, but don't, you know, overtake the conversation. I wish there was a book, especially back then, the backstage etiquette of wrestling where you could go through and read it and go, oh, okay, okay. But there's not, so you just have to kind of find your own way. Thankfully, it's not as, um, as vicious as it used to be, and guys are a lot more accommodating now. Is there anyone that would actually make you nervous at this point? And I don't even mean in wrestling. I mean in life. Meeting someone that would sure. really... Who, Absolutely, who? man. Like, I have great stories that I could tell you about meeting Keith Richards and meeting Paul McCartney. I mean, those type of guys, you turn into... A, I mean, Paul McCartney, a, a, the worst story. We're at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and, and Ringo was getting inducted by Paul. And my cousin and I had a contact that allowed us to stand on the floor of the arena where only the inductees are. But we didn't have a ticket because it's $10,000 for a seat to sit on the floor. So you can't stand here. So then you go stand here. And then someone says you can't stand here. So anyways, we found out we, we could see where Paul and Ringo were at the front. So when everyone was standing up watching Green Day, 
play. My cousin and I just walked through the entire crowd using the only uh, rule that you need to have, which is just act like you're supposed to be there. Right? <laughs> so true. So, hey, dude, what's going on? How you doing? What's, hey, Dave Grohl, what's up, buddy? And you end up, we end up standing right in front of Paul, right behind Paul and Ringo. And then when the show was done, Green Day was done, Paul started walking. So I started walking kind of almost uh, beside him, but this row of chairs till we finally just meet at the peak. Oh, my goodness. What a coincidence. Hey, Paul, Green Day was great. Oh, they were awesome. They're great. And I was like, I didn't know what to say, but I said, listen, I see you have your security guard leading you, but you got no one behind you. So if any ninjas come, I got your back. And I'm like... (laughs) What am I, the ninjas? He's looking at me. Like, All right, oh my God, you actually said that. All right. And then, yeah. And then I go, high five, Paul. So he gives me a high five. So I'm just jumping him in. So later we go to the after party and he's eating with Joe Walsh. This is such a, we went to the Copa, me, Joe Walsh and Paul McCartney, man. So he's eating this spread. He's eating some cheese and all these people are gathered around. I'm like, I'm going to go try and help him out. So I go and say, Paul, listen, if people are bugging you, like I'll, I'll help you out. He goes, listen, he goes, who are you? He goes, who are you, man? He goes, are you a cameraman? Are you a security guard? Who are you? And I go, oh, I'm just trying to help you, go, help you out. He goes, listen, if any ninjas come around, <laughs> I'll let you know. Until then, just like, you know, I'll see you later. Like, like, leave me alone type thing. And he walked away. And the only thing I could think of was like, he remembered the ninjas. <laughs> he knows who I am. Uh, well, based on the photo behind you, it looks like you are a big Beatles Did, fan. <laughs> we have a great picture of the back of his head and the back of my head. So it counts. It's not our faces, but it counts. I got a picture of Paul McCartney. It, it, hey, so that's what makes you nervous. That's a whole different level of fame yeah. when you get to that. He used to live down the street from me in New York City at my old apartment. So you'd see him walking, and he very hard to get a photo with him. So I'd actually right. like kind of walk next to him, and I had someone like – 300 feet away just with their cell phone kind of going crazy with the photo like just trying to look like I was kind of walking with him but I'll tell you what he, like you he walks so quick and yeah. uh, it's crazy how fast Paul McCartney walks it's kind of interesting he's just he's very quick but it's he's, he's got walk his aura around like you but, but, he's got to get out but, of there well yeah, of course is, and here's one thing Adam and, I, and, and Dax I noticed this too like this is this well for Paul it's fifty years but for me it's thirty years of knowing you can I can pick him out from a mile away you get that look of someone who's like, <laughs> it's like okay, here it comes. <laughs> yep and then the guy sometimes doesn't really know what to do he's like um uh, are you who I think you are and I'm like who do you think I am your uncle Joe I mean I don't know <laughs> you know um, so you can that's why Paul walks quick because this is fifty five years of being you know, avoiding the zombies, as we say. <laughs> well, like the, the, the mo- one of the most famous people in the world. You're, you've been that famous for so long. You, you know the tricks of the trade. Exactly, exactly. On the other hand, though, Joe Walsh, one of the coolest guys ever. He actually gave me a guitar pick. Super nice guy, and he's a legend. I mean, I love him on Stern. He's been – he's. I, uh, I sat next to Joe Walsh on a plane once. We were sitting in, uh, in first class. So I'm sitting in the window, and he comes and sits down beside me. And it's like I think he kind of recognized me from something, and I obviously knew he was because you could tell. He's like, hey, man. Like he's thinking, do I know this guy from somewhere? So this lady's walking down, and she's got – you know one of those pill boxes that says like sure. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? And for some reason, yeah. she was trying to grab her pill – and when she hit the pill, they all fell on the ground. Oh. <laughs> and I look over, and Joe Walsh is on his hands and knees picking up the pills. And he looks at me and goes, old habits die hard, brother. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's great. I love that story. How do you listen? You you travel a lot. I was a wrestler. How do you deal with the fans at the airport? You know, you'd always see the well, wrestling fans there. How do you deal with that? Yeah, listen, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm really cool with fans. I'm never the I went through a phase where if I was a bad guy, I would be super rude to you at the airport, super rude to everybody cuz you know, I want people to boo me and believe it. And I ended up getting, you know, in fights on the street and and that was I was much younger and angrier then. And now it's like, I'm really nice because I appreciate that people, you know, uh, uh, enjoy the work that I do. Everyone's got a story. I'm always happy to hear it. Um, the one, the one thing that kind of bugs me a little bit though, is when you get to a city and you walk to baggage claim and there'll be like 15 or 20 fans there all with like, you know, five Funko pops or 10, eight by tens or five dolls. And you know what they're doing with it? Like, if it's a little kid with an action figure, absolutely. But some dude like, you know, my age or whatever with 10 8 by 10s I'm like, what are you going to do with these? Like, who's going to sign 10 8 by 10s for you? Like, I'll, I'll say, I'll sign two. Pick two. But here's what they do. Adam comes, I sign two. Dax comes, I sign two. Then Adam comes back. I'm like, I just signed yours. He goes, no, you didn't. I go, dude, you got a freaking pink toucan. I just literally saw you. <laughs> Like, I, come yeah. on, man. And yeah. people do that. So that, that kind of bug, bugs me because I'm like, listen, what is this going to be worth? 50 cents online? Like, what do you uh, autograph Chris Jericho 8 by 10 I mean, come on, man. But other than that, like, listen, people that, that recognize you and, and want to come say hi, I always appreciate that because it means something. So sure. during, you know, dur when, whenever I see wrestling, I see all the people in the audience and they're all holding up funny signs, trying to be the most outrageous. What's the best sign that you've seen in the audience? Well, it's so funny because thankfully, like we work in Florida, so we actually are allowed to have fans, uh, you know, very, very limited. But for six months, we had no fans like March 11th, uh, 2020 was our last actual show in an arena in Salt Lake City. And then the next week was the lockdown. And we've been in Jacksonville ever since at that Daly's Place, which is an outdoor amphitheater. Um, so signs are like, what are you talking about signs? There's no signs anymore. But the best sign that I ever saw was when I was a bad guy. And it said, Chris Jericho is Stu. And then they ran out of room. Pid. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, like, dude, come on. Chris Jericho is stu like, you're too fucking stupid. Sorry. To even space it out properly to say Chris Jericho is write The letter smaller. If you mess it up. Rip it up and do it again. You're really, you're really uh, losing your point here. Chris Jericho is stupid. You know, uh, got to write those bubble letters smaller next time. <laughs> yeah, and the other one that I always loved is when I, I was in about summer of 2002. I was working uh, with Hulk Hogan. It was kind of his last run in the WWE, and we were doing all the live events, non televised. He was the good guy. I was the bad guy, and we had so much fun. Like people just love Hogan, and people just hated me. And I remember one kid in the crowd had a sign that said Hulk Hogan is a Jedi. It was right around when. Um, the second of the of the new Star Wars movies came out, maybe Attack of the Clones, and that just really bothered. Me. Remember, I I cut a whole promo on this kid who wrote the sign that Hulk Hogan was a Jedi, and how dare you compare the you know the brilliance of a Jedi with the you know the the, the dumpster fire that's Hulk Hogan. And then at the, at the at the end of the match, we end up fighting ringside, and the kid who wrote it, Hogan, held my arms behind me. He goes, "Hit him, kid!" And I'm like, "Okay, what's this kid gonna do? Like, whatever." This kid, he's probably eight years old, balled up his fist and punched. Punched me in the face as hard as he could, and it really hurt. And I was like, <laughs> Hulk, come on, man. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, brother. I thought he would just give you a slap or whatever. I'm like, geez, Louise, if you're such a Jedi, why didn't you use mind control and tell him not to punch me in the face, Mr. Jedi? <laughs> 
so good. Do you think? I mean, I remember seeing the story uh, uh, a little a while ago. You know, you had the belt stolen from you. Insane story, so wild. But do you think professional wrestlers? I know you guys work so hard to get that belt. But do you guys? Do you ever feel like you guys shouldn't be responsible for the belt because it is an expensive thing? And just let them be. Well, my I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, you know, I equate it to like if you win an Oscar, you know, your you, your peers and your company decides that you're the one who 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 has the best performance to to kind of carry this thing, and it's it's just a rite of passage. I mean, usually, um, I mean that was the first time, and now we have two. I mean, WWE has one that they keep with them that goes from town to town, you know, to all the different shows with the ring truck or whatever the hell it's with. And then the the champion carries his other one, you know. UFC does the same thing too, yeah. Right, and this was really early on. It was our first, our first. It was the first championship. It was like literally twelve hours after I won it, it was stolen from me, and it's still such a strange situation. It's not that I did a whole sixty minute podcast on it by myself, just talking about this whole weird situation. And still to this day, people make fun of it. Oh, you lost the belt. It's like, it wasn't lost. It was legit stolen, but no one really knows how it got stolen. How it was found. Some guy said he saw it in a bag on the side of a road. Like, listen, I don't know what you guys do when you're driving your car, but I don't drive down the highway looking at random things on the side of the road and go, hmm, I'm going to pull over and look and see what's inside of that bag. Like, what are you talking about? It's just very, very strange. It was a whole kind of weird conspiracy thing. But um, I I think the champion should carry it because that's part of your job. It's always fun going through airport security when it's like, you know, you got to keep it with you because you don't want somebody to steal it. And it goes through security and what do you got in there? Oh, you got, hey, you got a champion over here. Hey, look at this guy. <laughs> hey, 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 John, John, come over, Charlie, come over. Feel heavy this thing is. I'm like, can I just go, please? Like, can I leave now? <laughs> so what is, what is your theory with the belt? Because I, I have read the stories and, you know. And how it just doesn't make sense. What do you really think happened? Do you think that limo driver took it and gave it to someone else, yeah. or let it, it, I or mean, walked it's such away a long, long enough to to let someone in? It's such a long story. Yeah, like in retrospect, I'm pretty sure it was a big sting because it's long story short. I was on a charter plane that had to land in Tallahassee because there was a storm, so we went to get something to eat. Uh, rather than wait for the plane, I got a limo to come grab me and something to eat and drive us home. I think when we got dropped off for something to eat, which was not the place I wanted to go, it was the place that the guy suggested that maybe when he came inside to look for me, even though I was sitting right there and I saw him, that maybe his buddy came and grabbed it out of the back because there was some other stuff. There was a, a thing of flowers that was in there that I gave my wife that had shattered on the ground. So I think it was just a big sting. Hey, man, we got we got this belt in here. Come steal it. And then when they realized what they had and the fact that, like, what are you going to do with this thing? You can't sell it anywhere. It's like stealing a 59 Les Paul from Keith Richards. Like, it's worth 500 grand, but who's going to buy it? Everyone knows Keith Richards lost the Les Paul. You know what I mean? So I think when they realized that they couldn't do anything with it, they just kind of left it on the side of the road for somebody to pick up and turn in. Uh, to the, to the to the police department. It was just really weird. And the police were taking pictures with the belt and posting it on Twitter, and then they deleted it. And it was just a very strange situation, you know, for for this title that was barely twelve hours old. It does yeah. seem weird to leave it on the side of the road. I I got to think like, why would you ever leave it on the side of the road? That doesn't it make any left, sense yeah, to me either. It, yeah, it, that's what I mean. There was and, there, and I could go deep into it. There's so much other stuff in there where it really was like a. Hardy Boys, a mystery book when you read them when you were a kid. Nancy Drew. Yeah. So Why is it so important for wrestlers, you know, you, you to per, to wrestle in Japan? Like, what is the 
What is the significance with going to Japan? I feel like a lot of real wrestlers always want to go out there. I think it's the same as why a band wants to play in Japan. You grew up with you know Cheap Trick live in Budokan and Ozzy live at Budokan. You always hear about how crazy Japan is and how loyal they are and how crazy the fans are. So I think that works with wrestling as well. I mean, that was one of my big goals when I first started. My first tour of Japan, I was 20 years old. I so you know when so I kind of grew up in Japan. I've been there I think 62 times uh, at this point in time, and, and kind of my whole career has been synonymous with Japan, even to the point of of, of headlining the Tokyo Dome the last three years, except for this one, 18, 19, and 20. So there's just a vibe to it. I mean, people uh, treat wrestling much more as a, more of a serious, legit sport. Um, we're here, it's more of a show, which is good too. Everywhere's got their own different way of doing things, but it's just, it's just a vibe to it there. I think one of the reasons why you get into wrestling or get into music is you want to see the world and travel the world. And I think of all the countries I've been to, and it's probably over 40 at this point, or maybe even 50, uh, Japan is definitely my second favorite or third favorite probably after United States and Canada of places to wrestle in. Um, just because of that respect that the, that the, uh, that the, the business has. And it's, it's a very, you know, quirky country. It's very strange to go over there as, as an American for the first time. You're like, there's corn on pizza and there's squid on pizza. And there's, you know, they're selling goat milk in, in the convenience store. And it's just, uh, would you like a Pocari sweat? Anyone want a Pocari sweat? You're like, what? <laughs> um, and uh, I got to yes. imagine you, you stand out quite a bit walking down the street there. You do. Not so much now. I mean, it's really gotten more westernized over the 30 years I've been going there, but um, you know, and people know who you are. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of wrestling fans there and there's a lot of Jericho fans there and it's just cool. I, I like going there. I've always liked going there and I'm very fortunate to have continued my relationship with that country for, like I said, the better part of 30 years. Well, so, I got it. Let's, what do you think about doing a speed round real fast, Adam? Yeah, real quick speed round. This is our, then we'll get into, uh, I, I really want to hear more about, uh, some of the Fozzie stuff. Um, so we're going to do a quick speed round, quick answers. Dax, you want to start off? Sure. All right. So you did literally just the first name that comes to your mind with this. All right. Got it. So the best wrestler on the mic ever. Um, it's probably The Rock. All right. Best performance wrestler. Best wrestler in the ring. Shawn Michaels. The sweatiest wrestler. Uh, man, I think any of us that had to wrestle in Florida summer in an uh, outdoor venue, it was 110 degrees, so every <laughs> I was just a mess, like literally just slipping in sweat. I never wrestled in that hot before. <laughs> All right, smelliest. I, I, I don't know. I remember Kane's glove always just smelled like really sweaty, and he used to put Febreze on it, so it kind of like smelled like putting putting a, a cologne on a corpse sort of thing. <laughs> But just his glove, though. Not, not yeah. the rest of them, just his glove. All right. Uh, who's the wrestler that could hurt you the most in the ring? I mean, that's, that's subjective. You know, there's, there's, I mean, pretty much anybody if they get you in the right spot. But it's like you could go, well, there's certain guys. Probably this guy called King Haku that everyone always says is the toughest guy legit. But who knows, man? If I get a hold of you, I can hurt you. The, the funniest guy. Funniest guy backstage. Um... Dean Malenko is pretty funny. Okay. What about the biggest bully? There's no bullies anymore. No bullies? All right. Nicest to you during your early years? Um, Bad News Allen. Okay. What about the most underrated wrestler? 
Um, let's see who's the most underrated wrestler. Ah, oh, man. Those are hard. Like that, what pops into your head? It's it's hard. Uh, there's a guy called Too Cold Scorpio who was really good. That I don't think gets the credit for for how good he is. There's probably a million others too, but okay. Well, that's the first one. That comes yeah, to it was, who's the guy who you just don't think was given a fair chance? I don't know because everybody's given a fair chance. You know what I mean? Like if you look through. Um, the whole pantheon of, of of wrestlers, everybody gets a shot. If you're good, the cream always rises to the top. You know, there's some guys that were their own worst enemy that maybe didn't go as far as they could have gone, but it's pretty selective of guys who, who, who most of the time the dust settles where it should as far as guys who who are in the business. All right, I got my last one, and then Adam's got one. Next big superstar, uh, Jungle Boy. Okay. Good. Uh, wrestler who could handle the most amount of alcohol? Well, uh, Undertaker, back in the day, is right up there. So I'll go with him. Nice. Right. I like it. The speed round's always fun because you just, what first comes to your mind, I always find super fascinating. Right, exactly, for sure. Did, did you, you go to, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I was, <laughs> did you go to your high school reunion? Uh, we only had one. We went to the, the, the 10 year in 1998. But then they dropped it off. There was never the 20 or the 30. And how was it when you went? Did people go crazy? I mean, was it fun? Because obviously that, yeah, that was time- fun. I mean, I, I was just kind of getting started. I was I was on TV with WCW, which wasn't really super popular in Canada. So had I gone, you know, 10 years later, it probably would have been uh, a bigger, uh, a bigger like, oh, my gosh. But it was fun. It was really cool to see, you know, everybody at that point in time. That's why I would have liked to have continued on with the 20 and the 30, you know? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I look great. I'll tell you that. I looked <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. I got to know, what sparked your interest in Bigfoot? I've just always been um, interested in, in paranormal and, and cryptozoology since I was a kid. I was really obsessed with lake monsters because uh, my grandparents uh, lived on the banks of the Okanagan um, Lake, Lake Okanagan, which is the home of Ogopogo which kind of is Canada's uh, Loch Ness Monster. So I always just really researched it and looked that sort of stuff up and um, kind of continue to do that to this day. A lot of my podcast guests are part of paranormal conspiracy, ghosts, UFOs, cryptozoology, that sort of thing. Just always has interested me. Love yeah, it. I I gotta be honest. I'm a fan of Fozzie. I loved like when you guys first came out, and I love just you know. You, I think the one thing with Fozzie, you see the passion of how much you guys enjoy music and the history of it, and how much respect you have just for rock and roll. It's just really fun. But what was the best concert you've ever been to? Um, it's hard. Like every time I see the Stones, it's great because I, I, I compare it to like if you go to Jurassic Park. And I'm not saying this as a joke. You see this creature that you'll never see again. That's been around for you know a million years. Uh, the Stones are like that. Like once the Stones are gone, you'll never see a band like them again. So every time I can go, I'm always super excited. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think any ACDC concert is up there. It's just being completely insanely amazing. Uh, there's certain bands that just know exactly what to do. Who was the most fun backstage? Like, what concert have you been to has been, like, the coolest backstage? I know Ozzy is known for having cool setups, but uh, have you? Yeah, I mean, I haven't, like, the the backstage are the base of the bands that you tour with. And we toured with Metallica in Australia in 2014. And that that was kind of really cool to see how, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world... Uh, treats their um, their opening bands, treats the crew, what they demand. I mean, Lars needs a, he has a cheese pizza 
after every show and you better where's Lars's pizza he needs his pizza just to kind of see that type of vibe uh we did some shows with iron maiden in some stadiums it was cool to see just a band of that size uh in a in a a venue of that size um so yeah it, it all depends on who you're with but most of the guys most of the big bands are always super cool and super chill kiss is great paul and gene are awesome um so most of those type of bands that we've been out with have always been super cool with us so on the other end of the spectrum you did Dancing with the Stars. You were on a fantastic season. With you were on it when it was good. Yeah, you were on when it was like a oh, good, cool, yeah, big yeah. show. So I want to know what the experience was like and how competitive the show really was. Well, I mean, it was a great experience. It was one of those things that I um, I got asked to do it on three separate occasions. And um, I turned it down every time. I just didn't really see why I would want to do it. And then finally I decided, well, let me give this a try because they keep asking me. And now if I say no, I'm just an asshole, you know, and uh, dancing's hard because everyone thinks, you know, the first thing they said is don't try and be funny. You know, you got to get that out of your head because when you dance, everyone's like, oh, I'm trying to be funny guy. And, and that's <laughs> not really the point with Dancing with the Stars. There's an art form to it. And to learn the art form was something I was really interested in. It was very hard to learn. Um, the practice because you're in there seven, eight hours a day and if you're not, you'll go home fast and I'm not built that way. So um, just an amazing experience of learning the art of dancing. I think three of my dances could hold up against anybody else's dances in the history of the business or the history of the show. But what I learned early on, it's also show business. Um, You know, there's a certain element of, of, well, let's put this guy here and put that guy there and do this, 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 and this. And it's a, it's a combination of the judges' scores and the fan vote, but they never tell you how much of, of each. So, I mean, it's a show. Just like wrestling is a show. They're going to put who they want in the right position to get the most ratings. And that's fine. I mean, that's, that's – I had no problem with that. I just had a great time with it. And I lasted seven weeks, and it was just um, – it was, it was a blast. Stacy Keebler told me it's going to be something that one of your favorite things you ever do. And she was right. It was one of the favorite things I've ever done. How did you get, did you get in like crazy shape for during it? Did you notice your body change? You at did, all? Yeah. I mean, just because just, you're using muscles you don't usually use, you know, once again, this is not like anything else that you've ever done before. So, uh, it's very rigid. You have to really make your, your mark, your mark. And I, I did really good because, uh, being a musician, I understand what it's like to be on the beat, syncopation of the beat behind the beat on the beat. And as a wrestler, I understand the choreography and also performing live a combination of the two. You had a lot of people who, who had never done live shows before. And that kind of was nervous racking for them i didn't i didn't really have to to worry about any of that yeah i uh i love your podcast it's interesting it's fun i love that you're so candid and you're so honest and you're so real and you do we we, we try to do on this podcast like we always say we try to humanize hollywood and what you do you kind of humanize your world from music to rock to uh wrestling it's just it's it's kind of really just interesting to listen to does it bother you that ww wrestlers can't come on your podcast anymore because of AEW? I mean, you have a massive audience. It doesn't really bother me. It was I was a little bit um, amazed at the start. Like, really? I guess baffled. I guess would be the right word. Um, but I think uh, you know I understand because you know Vince doesn't play well with others, and I think that's you know he, he, even though like you said it, 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 there's a great <laughs> audience there, and I think it's it's great for me to promote their stuff and all that sort of thing. But um, you know, what am I going to do? I mean, there's plenty of subjects, and I had most of those guys on the show before anyways, so 
it's just one of those things. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. I, I would have no problem. Anybody from WWE can come on my show at any time. I mean, I have people from other co- companies on on uh, on talk as Jericho constantly. So that's just one of those kind of quirky little Vince McMahon rules, and you, that's fine. You just got to live with it. So I want to talk about this documentary that you produced. I'm too old for this shit. It's a documentary about the band Siren. How how did this come about? How did you know that they had got the call that they were going to be performing overseas? I'm I'm fascinated how these things try, you know come well, about. Well, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. So everyone says I, I've never heard of Siren, nor should you, because Siren never did anything. They were just a local band that put out a demo in 1985 and then basically broke up as most bands do. I was in a band in high school. I'm I'm sure you guys played in bands at one point in time or know people that did. And we were all going to take over the world. Uh, And then as it happens, you break up and you move on. So what happened with these guys and what's so interesting is this demo kind of floated overseas and 30 odd years later, Siren finds out that they have a huge fan base in Germany that they never knew about. And they get invited to play this big festival in Germany, even though they aren't a band and haven't been one in 30 odd years. The guys haven't even played their instruments. And how I got involved was the drummer, Ed, is a great friend of mine. And I always knew he played in a band called Siren when he was like in high school, but that was it. And he never told me the extent of anything because nothing ever happened. So when he came and told me that we got this offer to play this festival, I'm like, for what? You guys don't even have a band. He goes, I know, but we have this fan base in Germany. I'm like, bullshit. It doesn't work that way. It never happens. So I was kind of like, all right, this is either going to be the biggest shit show ever, total disaster, or it's going to be like, if everything goes right, and I don't think it will, but if everything goes right, it's going to be the greatest feel-good story ever. I need to send a camera crew. So that's what I did. And what I got was way more than I expected of this story of how dreams can come true no matter how old you are. And that, to me, is the crux of the movie. It's so cool. I recommend everyone all, check out the trailer. By the way? What's that? So did That's... you end up going with them at all, by the way? Uh, like no, I, I saw no. you I only saw the trailer, obviously, but I'm just curious if you got to see I, the I, final I didn't. performance what I, or anything. What I did, the, the guy who directed the last four Fozzie videos, including Judas, which has about fifty million views on YouTube, he and I struck up a real rapport over the years and i sent nathan his name is nathan mauer and i sent nathan i said dude just go get it get what you can and let's see what happens and i had the idea to call it i'm too old for this shit before one second was even filmed because i said sooner or later one of the guys in this band is going to say i'm too old for this shit because traveling and, and and listen being in a rock and roll band is not easy being in a rock and roll band after not playing in 30 years is almost impossible Sooner or later, someone's going to go, I'm too, and dude, Nathan's like, dude, they just said it. They're at the airport. They just said it. They're on the plane. They just said it. They're in the, the car. And I was like, just, yeah, this is great. Because I was like, if we're worse, we'll just have them say it. But they actually did say it. So um, that's kind of the vibe. The, the fish out of water of these guys just going to the airport together was great. And trying to learn what Snapchat is and, and Instagram filters. And like, these are guys in their, in their early to mid 50s that haven't been on a plane since 9-11. And this is kind of the whole story that unfolded. So I was really, really happy with it because the best documentaries don't doesn't matter if you're a fan of, I mean, King of Kong, if you know what video games are or, you know, American movie, if you like independent movies or not. It's about the story of the people behind it. And that's what I'm too old for this shit is. Yeah, if you like rock and roll, it's great. If you like heavy metal, it's great. If you don't, it doesn't matter. It's the story about these guys. They're all so likable and so bewildered that it actually came true after 30 years, our dreams of being a rock rock stars 
finally came true, even if it's just for a weekend. And that's that was really great to capture. Was it difficult to get everyone back together? Like, did any of the members have, hey, I don't know if I get along with this guy, you know, because who knows what happens with a band? Well, once again, all that stuff had kind of been, had, they had to work that out. And, and it was really strange because it was almost like fate had led them to this really strange set of circumstances where these emails were coming in from Soviet Union and Saudi Arabia and Ireland. And like, are you Ed from Siren? He's like, why is everybody just emailing me around this time frame? So that led to a reconciliation that happened before this documentary. So that was included as part of it. But the cool thing was some guys were going to play and then dropped out and some guys refused. And so trying to put together who was left from this era. And the thing I really like about it is you mentioned the Vince McMahon documentary earlier. A lot of documentaries are focused on archival footage. Our documentary is focused on how it unfolds, which are my favorites. You, there's, no, there's no archive footage because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So what you get is what actually happens you know, on the road to this giant festival. And that's where you really see the the emotions of these guys, the personality of these guys. And, you know, one guy loses his passport for 10 minutes, can't find it, he thinks he's stolen it, ends up stuck in his sleeve in his leather jacket. Like, how does that even happen? Well, I'm glad that it happened because we got it on camera. And the bass player keeps disappearing. Where's Greg? Where's Greg? Oh, there he is. He's over here. Where is he? He's following a cat through Germany to a bar where he's drinking a beer with a cat. Like... You can't write this stuff, but when you film it and see it, it's just like this unfolded in front of our very eyes, and we didn't know how it was going to go, and it turned out so great. So to me, once again, that's another reason why it really works, because it's not something where you can go back and show, okay, here's a documentary on the Rolling Stones. In 1968, they did this. In 1970, this. We don't know what's going to happen, because it, it was happening in front of our eyes. So after all this attention and this press and all of this, is the band going to go back to making any more music, or it's like they're done? No, they did. They, they did a new record. I mean, uh, obviously, when we filmed this was a couple of years ago, and then the, the, the pandemic happened, so they did a new record. In the meantime, they're supposed to play a bunch of shows this summer, which, which will be next summer, hopefully. So there's, there's a little bit of buzz for this band, because the thing is, too, they're actually a really good rock and roll band. They really they fit that European power metal vibe. So it wouldn't surprise me if every summer these guys get invitations to go play. Now, are you paying for that out of your pocket? Are you barely covering expenses? I don't know, and that's up to you. Here's your chance. If you guys want to take the money you make during the year and use it to go to Europe again, or maybe they'll get to a point where they get stuff paid for. But I do know this. It was another great point. At this festival, Siren was the top-selling band for merch on the entire festival because people were so excited to see them. And the last shot of these 5,000 people chanting Siren after singing their lyrics, I'm like... Who are these people? <laughs> Siren is God. Siren is my life. If I had a choice between Siren and Iron Maiden, I would choose Iron. Ma uh, I would choose Siren. It's like, are you serious? And that's another thing because Germany is so into heavy metal. Like you, like heavy metal is life. So these people that are living for Siren, this is the real deal to them. They are taking Siren and forsaking Iron Maiden, which in Germany that's a big deal. So. All of these things kind of culminated to, to make this really cool half dreams come true story, half travelogue, half, you know, heavy metal festival explanation. I was really, really happy with it. I'm, I'm really proud uh, on how well it's done off the bat. It's available on all platforms now where it started just on iTunes. It's on multiple countries. It, it's just kind of domino effect is happening which is really cool to see. Yeah, I recommend everyone check out the trailer. If you see the trailer, you're going to want to watch the movie. It's Unbelievable. It's uh, 
you you would never expect. It's just a crazy story, and like you said, it's a rock and roll fairy tale. It's really just, I it's yeah. it's really what you kind of want. And I don't know. I think it's one of the best documentaries that's going to come out in a long time. I think if you're a music fan, you don't have to be a rock fan. I think it's just a really cool story to see where these guys are now and just see like how big the, the it's music cool is. when when you, you know when you send it around to my friends and slash is like this is effing great and eli roth is like this is the best documentary i've seen in ages and you know just hearing that kind of feedback from guys who are in the know i know that we've got something special going on it's cool well, make sure you check out that i'm too old for this shit it's an amazing story about a rock and roll band and just a great story follow chris jericho of ozzy on instagram uh to keep up to date with him and uh, obviously Hopefully the cruises come back soon because they were a huge success. I mean, Chris Jericho does his own cruises. It's a rock and roll party, wrestling rager on sea. It's amazing. Check out his books. And also for now, check out his podcast, Talk is Jericho. Chris Jericho, thank you so much, brother. It's uh, I'm a fan. I'm so excited for this documentary. Thank you, guys. Great talking to you. And, uh, man, it's funny because that city hasn't moved. It must be 5 a.m. Like, <laughs> yeah, you usually see some here. cars driving by or something, but it's just, uh, I think I see someone having sex in the window behind you, Adam. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was a lot of fun. He was cool, dude. He was really fun. Yeah, I liked man. Him a lot. It's, it's cool because I didn't want to come off too much like a wrestling nerd, but I am. And uh, But it was just like a fun, good conversation. I feel like, I hope, at least, that you don't have to be a crazy wrestling fan to enjoy Chris Jericho. And he's had a hell of a career. I mean, He's done so much from, you know, obviously the acting, the hosting, the wrestling to music. And he's a respected musician and very well connected and has a lot of friends and he's got some great stories. So it's cool just to, again, like he does on his podcast and like we try to do on this podcast, he humanized Hollywood. Yep. Absolutely. And humanized wrestling. And I like I like that uh, I, I know how much of a fan you are. And so, like, at the beginning, I could tell that you were so fucking excited to do this interview, and you were trying to keep it in and trying to keep your cool together. I like so, when Adam's impressed with people. I, the, of all the guests we've had, I think this might have been the one I've been most <laughs> kind of start. <laughs> there hasn't been anyone I've been like, oh, man, but this was, like, Chris Jericho, and I was, like, bugging out to my buddies. In fact... I'm I'm actually impressed with myself that I didn't wear a wrestling shirt and I didn't want to do it so I, he obviously could see us. I didn't want to come off like too much like corny, like yeah. wearing a wrestling t-shirt. Like I actually have a Chris Jericho shirt and I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> I thought it'd be too, it would have been too much. I've been too awkward. I love it. Um, but that's cool, man. Thank you guys for listening. The best thing you could do to support this podcast is leave a review, leave a comment, a good review, five stars, go to iTunes or Don't Stitcher where you listen to the podcast. Some people maybe listen to the for the first time, subscribe, please. We- subscribe. We're on YouTube. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Check out the Hollywood Raw podcast. We actually get to see the whole video of this interview on our YouTube page. Uh, you can find me at, at Adam Glenn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at D-A-X-H-O-L-T. And we'll see you guys later. A Media Production.